Welcome to the Next Level Leadership Small Business Owner Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Vizanar. In this podcast, you'll learn the strategies, processes, and mindset to take you, your teams, and your organization to the next level. I'm your host, Ben Vizanal, and today you're going to want to take some notes because today's show is going to be packed with useful insights and impactful content. Today's guest is the entrepreneur behind three multi-million dollar companies and is the author of Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, and what Business Week deemed the entrepreneur's cult classic, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. He's a former small business consultant for the Wall Street Journal and the former business makeover specialist on MSNBC. He is globally recognized as a guy who challenges outdated business beliefs and teaches us what to do about it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mike McCallowitz to the show. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Oh, Ben, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, we're, we're blessed. We're definitely blessed and pleased to have you. Uh, Mike, for those that don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm an active entrepreneur. I, I devoted my life to that. My full adult life has been entrepreneurial. Um, but the last 10 years, I devoted... Uh, the predominant amount of my work to writing books. So I'm a full-time author for small business, uh, small business owners, uh, but also operate a couple of small businesses uh, while I write my books. And the, the reason I'm an author is the entrepreneurial journey is really hard. Like I didn't, I, I went into it with these big open eyes, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be so rich. I'm going to make so much money and uh, live a life of luxury. And entrepreneurship is really a struggle. I now call it entrepreneurial poverty. This perception of the outside world thinks the day you start your business, you're a millionaire and you're down at the beach, you know, throwing back some drinks. And, and the reality is we're working our tails off and um, we're not millionaires. We're far from it. We're, we're, we're surviving many of us check by check. And I wondered why that was the case, not only for me, originally I thought it was only me, but for so many entrepreneurs and then devoted my life to resolving that. So I've written five books now. I have a sixth one I'm working on as we speak. It doesn't come out until 2020 though. And uh, my mission is to, to fix that entrepreneurial poverty and make, make entrepreneurship a joyful and much easier process than, than it seems to be. Yeah, well, and I, and I have a bit of a confession to make. I obviously want to dig into to all your books. We don't have, you know, we try to keep this to a 30 minute show, but yeah. um, I have a bit of a confession. So when I, when I read Profit First, which was the first book of yours that I read a couple years ago, as I was reading it, um, I said, you know, I, I said, I think, I think this guy, Mike, he, he must've followed me around about 20 years ago <laughs> and, 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 and wrote and wrote about my life, you know, my, my first yeah. couple of businesses. Uh, and I'm sure you, you, you probably get that a lot, right? I do. I do. But you know, it's funny when I, when I wrote that, so, you know, I write about the ups and downs, the, the constant stress, this, this strange, odd feeling where the outside world thinks you're wildly successful. That, that moment where my wife came to me and said, Mike, you just need to get a job. And it, for an entrepreneur, it's like a knife in the heart. Mm -hmm. And um, I wrote about that originally thinking that was just my challenges. And to your point, Ben, I get this constant stream. I mean, emails, I'm so blessed now. I probably get 50 emails a day now from people who've read the books sharing their stories. And this is the most common is this almost loneliness that we entrepreneurs face. We're on a desert island and no one understands our our dilemmas. Um, and they think we're so lucky when we're really struggling. So, uh, no, I wasn't spying on you. 
Uh, it's just sadly the, the common theme for all of us. I, I totally agree. I obviously have a, a, a network of friends that, that are self-employed and, and have a variety of businesses. And I, I call myself a serial entrepreneur. And it's, it's the first couple of businesses I had were, I mean, when I was reading your book, it was like, okay, I made that mistake. Okay, I made that mistake twice. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, you just, you don't realize, like you said, everyone puts on airs and everyone thinks you're just successful and you just have all this time off and you spend all the day at the beach. Uh, and that's just not the case, right? So uh, with that being said, I, uh, so let's go ahead and dive in, my friend. So tell me a little bit about how a piggy bank, like the one that's on the cover of the book, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, changed your entire perspective about how, you know, how to become profitable and achieve wealth. Yeah, so that, that's, on, that's the cover of Profit First. The original was the piggy bank, and then I, I republished in a revised and expanded edition. Uh, sadly, the piggy bank is gone from the cover, but it's, it still sits in my heart. So why is the piggy bank there? I had the epiphany of epiphanies, sadly, in a, in a very devastating time for me. I, the preamble to this is I had built some businesses and sold them. I, I thought I finally had entrepreneurship figured out. I'd made a lot of money, um, and I made it on the exits. In fact, I was kind of chock full of arrogance at the time and, and ignorance. And I decided to start a third company investing in other businesses under this notion that we got to grow and sell, pump and dump. Well, that strategy is not necessarily a good strategy whatsoever. And I tried to pump 10 companies uh, and they all dumped me. Every business actually failed. It was so bad, Ben, that I was actually paying bills for companies that didn't even exist anymore um, because they, they had collapsed so quickly. And in a very short period in my early to mid thirties, I had evaporated all of my wealth. Every penny I had was gone. And um, I had to come home to my family, my wife, my children, and tell them that uh, we were about to lose our house, which we did, and lose our possessions, uh, cars we had. We, we had to, we had to lose everything because because um, I owed I owed so much money. I had to, actually I remember I had fifty thousand dollars of credit card debt, nothing in the bank, fifty thousand dollars of credit card debt, and driving home one particular day, where on the radio they said the average American has seven thousand dollars of credit card debt, and feeling like I've never so badly my wife life wanted just to be average. <laughs> and uh, I came home and I faced my family and I was sobbing because I had not told them the reality of what was going on. I'd been lying by omission. You know, whenever my wife would say, how are things going? I'm like, fine, things are good. We're, you know, we have a big prospect around the corner that never showed, never occurred. Yeah. And uh, what, telling what them if, that, right? what if or if only, huh? Yeah. It's always, right. Always is hinging my success on maybe something tomorrow happened tomorrow. That's massive. Uh, I've now believed that our success or profitability is a chain of small events. It's a relentless stream of, of pennies and maybe it's a few dollars, not single events of a million dollars. But back then I believed it was, and uh, I no longer could sustain. So I came home, told my wife and children we're losing the house, losing our stuff. I had to face my daughter who was nine years old, tell her she can't go to her horseback riding lessons. I think it was 20 bucks per session. It was a group session. And I, I couldn't afford it. And as I said this, she was nine years old. She gets, up on the chair and just runs. I've never seen someone run so fast. His little legs just carrying her. And I thought she was running away from me. But what she was doing was she was running to her bedroom to get her piggy bank. And she came running back down without saying a word, and then looks up at me and says, Daddy, Daddy, I'll start supporting our family. And uh, that moment, that moment is, uh, gosh, I've shared that story. It feels like a thousand times. I get emotional every time because it is, it is the, darkest moment of my life. It, I, that's the biggest moment of shame where a, your child feels compelled to save you because you're, you, me, 
was that much of an idiot. I, I felt like a dagger to my heart. Um, and while I was proud of her, I was so ashamed of myself. I actually went into ultimately depression uh, for a couple of years. And um, that became the seed, though, of turning things around. I struggled for a long period of time, but at least I'd had moments of clarity. And I started to realize that my notions around entrepreneurship were not accurate, that there was different, better, more simple ways uh, to run my business. And it became the inception of finding, discovering the concept of profit first. Awesome. Awesome. So, so tell me, and just in your opinion, why do most entrepreneurs struggle to ever make a profit? Because I know we talked a little bit about, you know, you mentioned that, you know, we all think we're, or we put on airs that we're doing well. And, and really the truth is, I'm going to throw a number out there. I've heard a bunch of different numbers. I'm going to say at least 90% of them are struggling. Why do you think yeah. that is? Yeah. And I think you're right. I, I, I think it's that number or, or more. Uh, and the irony though, is we ask people, how you doing? We're like, oh, business is good. We're, we're, we pound our chest because we don't want to share the real truth. That, that's that gap of entrepreneurial poverty, this, this chest pounding that we're successful and this, this desperation that's really happening. The, the reason is, is we fall victim to an outdated methodology. And I'm not saying it's outdated. I don't mean that it's logically wrong. I just mean it doesn't match the behaviors of how we operate. So the concept is the foundational formula of profitability. We are told that sales minus expenses equals profit. It's the foundation of what's called gap or generally accepted accounting principles. And everyone listening to this knows that's how you get profit. Uh, we even use vernacular like the like profits, the bottom line or the year end. Here's the problem. We are told that profit comes last yet. It's human nature. When something comes last, it means it's insignificant. The example I use is if, if Ben, if you were rushed to the hospital for a heart attack today and the doctor examines you and says, Ben, you got to change your diet. You got to stop smoking, stop drinking or you're going to die, I guarantee you'll come out of the hospital saying, starting today, I'm going to put my health first. I know, Ben, you wouldn't come out of the hospital saying, starting today, I'm going to put my health last. Yet that's what profit tells us. Because when, when profit comes last, it means it's insignificant now. It can wait. It can be put off. But when something comes first, it means it needs to be addressed now. The reason, in my belief, why so many entrepreneurs struggle is profit's the last consideration. In pr practice, you know, some of us, we don't even look till the end of the month. Maybe you look at your statement and say, ah, no profit, shucks, or maybe the end of the quarter. Many of us wait, I did, wait until the end of the year, till the tax returns come. My accountant say, sorry, no profit again. Or even worse, he'd say, oh, you have a few thousand dollars of profit. And I'd say, well, where is it? He's like, oh, that's an accounting profit. You don't really have it. You spent that money. It's even worse. What my commitment is, is for entrepreneurs to have a cold, hard cash bonus at the end of every day, sitting, waiting for them. At the, every, at the end of every quarter, they can collect it. And to make that change, you need to do one simple but profound change, and it's take your profit first. Every time you have a sale, you immediately take a predetermined percentage of that money, hide it away from yourself as profit, and run your business off the remainder. That will force you, by, it's the pay yourself first principle applied to business. It'll force you to take your profit first and be permanently profitable. Well, I'll tell you, if I would have read your book 20 years ago, I'd probably be doing something very different today. Mm -hmm. I'd still be in business. I have a similar story to yours, and, and uh, I'm not, I'm not, I won't share it today, obviously, but it's the uh, it's a, it's a, it's a same situation. You know, you hide yeah. things, and, and you, you, uh, I, both my parents owned businesses, and I grew up in, in, uh, in retail and entrepreneurship and small business ownership. And I had a lot of those false assumptions of, you know, you, you, you can't, uh, you got to grow first, right? The first two years, yeah. you don't, you don't make a profit, right? That's an, that's one of the myths you hear a lot. 
uh, you always got to reinvest it into the business um, and grow, 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 right? Um, and your books is quite a bit different. It, like I said, it, it kind of takes what we've always thought we knew and turns it upside down. And, and if you just follow those principles, uh, it's my belief that you know, small business ownership or entrepreneurship, you, know, you have the opportunity to thrive versus struggle for two or three years, which is what everyone's yeah. 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 There's a lot of this common beliefs around that are perpetuated. Um, and, and sadly, you know, we see the cover of magazines like, you know, Inc magazine or entrepreneur or whatever it is. And you see Elon Musk or whoever it is up there. And these people become our heroes, but that's the same as saying, you know, the best investors in the world are lottery ticket winners. Now I'm not discounting Elon Musk. I mean, what he's done and Richard Branson, these people are amazing, absolutely amazing. But also, good fortune played upon them and the grow at all cost mentality in many cases worked out for them. But that's the rarity. Mm -hmm. I think the real path of entrepreneurship, um, luck doesn't play in our favor. There's a lot of challenges we face. And if we don't have the discipline of consistently growing profit, that grow at all cost mentality will cause us to experience all costs. We will devastate our business. So, I, you know, I used to have fandom for those people, but now realize they are the proverbial lottery winners. And uh, I think it's this slow, disciplined approach to profit that will bring about a healthy permanent business, make a business permanently healthy. And here's the greatest irony. Businesses that start addressing their profit, we consistently see it now, grow faster than their competition. So it's iron, ironic, but if you want to grow faster, take your profit first. It'll force you to focus on the things that are profitable, focus on the best types of clients, focus on your best offerings. And with that focus, it sparks word of mouth because you're doing your best for the right group of people and they mm -hmm. talk about you and you start actually growing faster. Sure, sure. Well, tell me, just to shift gears a little bit, tell me about the four fundamental lessons you learned from health and fitness experts. Sure, sure. So first I, I learned this concept of small plates, right? And so I write about this in the book, but the, the basic concept's this. Plates dictate our food consumption. Our behavior doesn't change. Um, we continue to do the same thing we always do, but if we change the size of the plates, the amount we consume will change. 300 years ago, George Washington was eating off a plate that we would now consider a dessert plate or a coffee saucer. Well, <clears throat> that was the dining plate and they filled up the food the same way we did. They would serve off the, you know, serve all the food to fill the plate and then they'd eat everything that's on it. just like their moms told them, clean off the plate. Today, plates have literally doubled in size and as plates have gotten bigger in size, so have our portions. We automatically fill up the plate and as our moms told us, we've cleaned off the plate. So the portion control is actually determined by the size of the plate. If we have smaller plates, if we simply get small plates for our house, it will start controlling how much we consume. Well, this is true also for our money. When all the money resides in one account, and, and almost all business owners I know do bank balance accounting. I log into my bank account. I see how much money I have. Based upon what I see there, I determine how to operate my business. I Honestly, I, I ignore the income statement and balance sheet. And yeah, I peek at them every so often. But quite frankly, the easier way to run my business on a day-to-day -day basis is through bank balance accounting. So what we're going to do in our business is set up multiple accounts, five small plates like Call them. Well, one's a serving tray. It's the income account. Money flows in there, but we never spend money from it. We now start carving it up, kind of like a turkey. When you serve for Thanksgiving, you you display the turkey, but then you carve it so everyone can get a piece of the meal. You're going to carve up this cash turkey. So the money goes in the income account. We carve it up to the remaining four accounts. Profit. This is a small plate. We're going to allocate a small percentage of the money. Depends on your size business, but some businesses can do five, ten, fifteen, maybe twenty percent or more even. 
And we carve the money up there to serve the purpose of rewarding the shareholders. So if you own the business or, or invest in the business, you're a shareholder, we're going to reward you for taking on what's truly extraordinary risk. The next account is going to be called owner's compensation. If you are an owner operator, you work inside the business, I would argue as the owner, you're probably the best employee the company's ever had. So we're going to reward you accordingly and, and make sure you're paid. Owner's compensation is your lifestyle account. That's going to pay uh, for your lifestyle. The profit account is a bonus above and beyond that that you're going to take out on a quarterly basis. Tax accounts, the next small plate. Uh, tax account is to pay the owner's personal taxes. Every April 15th, I was getting caught with my pants around my ankles. I had no money. Panic would ensue. Uh, and now, because my business reserves for it, when tax time comes, it feels great because the business pays that allocation. And the last account called OPEX, that's the account available to operate the business. The, the funny thing is in the old method of bank balance accounting where we had one account, if $1,000 came into our business, we'd say, oh, I have $1,000 from my business. Well, that's not true. Now by carving that money up, you see what really is available. You know, 100 bucks is going to a profit. Maybe 200 bucks is paying the owner. Maybe another 200 bucks is going to reserve for your tax liabilities or whatever. So now 500 bucks is allocated out to those two accounts, those three accounts. The remaining, in this case, 500 stays in the OPEX. So you don't have $1,000 running your business, you have 500. So it really gives you an immediate perception of what's available to manage your business. And you have to work within the confines of these plates. Three more quick principles. The next principle that the fitness instructor shared with me that I translated into from physical fitness to fiscal fitness was the sequence we do things. She, you know, when it comes to food, most people eat all their food simultaneously. She said actually only serve vegetables in the beginning because then we will consume the vegetables, more vitamins, more nutrients, then serve the meat and potatoes a little later on and you'll actually eat less of it because you already ate your vegetables. But if you serve it all at once, we'll go toward our, our deference, which may be the meat and potatoes. Well, in, in, when it comes to running our business, most of us defer to paying our expenses first. We have this stack of bills that are piling up. So the second money comes in, we immediately revert to pay the bills. Well, now we're going to just change the sequence a little bit. The first thing we're going to do is allocate money in a specific sequence. Money comes in and the first slice is going to go into profit as a reward mechanism, endorphin release. It feels good. When you allocate money and you take a little bit of profit and cash, you're like, whoa, that feels good. Then we're going to allocate money toward owner's comp. It's also another reward mechanism. It feels good. Then we're going to allocate money toward taxes, which clearly is not a reward. You're not benefiting from that. The government does. But if you don't pay your taxes, you do go to jail. So the tax account is more of a protection mechanism. So it's reward, reward, protect. And the last account, OPEX, we carve into, and that serves the business. So it's reward, reward, protect, and serve. And that's the sequence we go in, um, and we'll have the right emotions associated with it as opposed to always paying bills first and saying, oh, there's no money left for bills. By the way, when you do this, when you get to the OPEX account, if there's not enough money to pay your bills, that's your business telling you you can't afford your bills. You need to fix things. You need to cut unnecessary costs. You need to be very critical of that. And you need to amplify margins. So the business starts to maybe speak to us in some regard. Uh, next process was to remove temptation Fitness instructor told me, you know, what, what's the thing you're most addicted to? For me, it's actually two things, chocolate chip cookies and Twizzlers. I'm addicted to both. You put them in front of me and I'll play the willpower game of saying, no, I shouldn't, no, I shouldn't. And then minutes later, you'll see me in a candy high throwing down all this stuff. There's no cookies yeah. left, huh? Yeah, no cookies, right? Yeah. I'm addicted to them. So the only solution is not willpower. That's like a muscle. It fatigues. The only solution is to remove its availability in the first place. 
don't have in the room, can't consume it. When we allocate money toward profit and toward the taxes and it sits there and waits for us one day to distribute it, I suggest quarterly, but as the money starts accumulating, it becomes very tempting when you can't pay your bills or you want to buy that new computer to simply quote unquote borrow from your, your profit account or God forbid your tax account that's going to the government. So what we're going to do is we're going to transfer this money to a second bank. And the goal of the second bank is to find another bank that is actually inconvenient, no online banking or ATM cards or even checks. You, you want to transfer the money in and have a deposit only account. And the only way you can withdraw money is by getting a certified banker's check or some other way of, of withdrawing money that's inconvenient. And so therefore you can't easily access this money. And now it will force you to run your business off the operating expenses. When it comes time to profit distribution, reward the shareholders. Now we drive over to that bank and we issue the check for that. Or when it comes to uh, paying the taxes, we go to the bank, get the check, send it to the government, and we're done. The, go the goal here is out of sight, out of mind. There's no Twizzlers or chocolate chip cookies in my entire office. So guess what? When I'm at work, I never eat them. There's none at home. I never eat them. So I do pretty well. But God forbid I'm walking through an airport and I sniff out some Twizzlers at the, the, the newspaper stand. I start salivating and I lose my mind. So the goal is to remove the availability and we don't even think about it. The last and final thing she shared was to get into a rhythm, a frequency. Many people eat sporadically. We, we try to eat three meals a day. We skip, we, we, we snack a little bit here and there. We overindulge. She said the best is to actually get five meals a day into a rhythm where we're constantly having small portions, but never having that hunger sensation and therefore never overeating. Well, in our business, we need to get into a rhythm too. Most businesses are very reactionary. There's no money available. I'm sorry, money flows in. We now have money. We, we wipe out the bills. There's no money available. Then we start panicking. We try to sell anything to anybody. And we kind of flip-flop around. We need to get into a rhythm. I find for many businesses, twice a month, um, we actually have particular days we specify in the book, and there's reasons behind it, but twice a month or maybe weekly, as money comes in the income account, it just sits there. On the trigger day, that once a week or twice a month, all the money in the income account gets allocated, sliced up to those different accounts I shared. Then you pay your bills from the operating expense account and repeat the process. And what's so magical about this is you'll start seeing what your normal cash flow rhythms are. See how much money flows into income before you allocate it all out. Then you go through that process again and you see where your income is normally peaking out. And in the book, I address seasonality and there's other things that affect cash flow, but it's all addressable through the system. The, the last part um, is a 90-day cycle, uh, my favorite component. I argue that everyone listening in, Ben, right now, once they implement the system, every quarter should be taking a profit distribution. That money we put the second bank, I want you to take a portion of it. Maybe not 100%, but maybe 50% of that money comes out to reward you. It's never to be put back in the business. So don't use terms like reinvest or plow back. Those are all terms, soft terms for expenses. What we're going to do is when that money comes out, it is there to reward you as the shareholder. You celebrate with it. When I started this for my own business, I've been doing this for nine years now. When I started it for myself, the, the, the first distribution was like seven bucks. It was like nothing. But I went to Starbucks. I got the nicest you know, coffee I've ever had. And I sat there and I felt so good because this profit was paid by the business in its entirety as a reward. It was amazing. As I've done this over time, the, the distributions have gotten bigger and bigger and I'm doing more significant things, but it always feels like the business is taking care of me. As a result, because of the profit distributions, I've honestly fallen back in love with my business. I don't feel beholden to it. I feel that it serves me. Those were the 
is super rapid fire and said very quickly, that's the four <laughs> principles. Awesome. Awesome. And I bet that was probably the best coffee you had in, in years, right? Dude, it was freaking the best. It was because before did I buy coffee? Yes. But I put it on my credit card. It was actually more debt to the business. Mm-hmm. I, I felt good in the moment, but I'd be angry to see the debt, the credit card piling up. But yeah. when, when I walked in that, when I walked into that, that Starbucks and I put down the cash for my profit distribution, oh, it was awesome. The first time ever. And, and I've never looked back. Every quarter, money comes out as a profit. Awesome. And, and I'll say this just as a side note. If, it, you know, if, the business, if, they just, if they just start with removing temptation and getting in a rhythm, if they do nothing else, which we obviously want them to do all of these things because it's an entire system, but if just, just paying yourself first and getting into a rhythm of distributing that money, like you said, they'll be three steps ahead further down the road than they will any yeah. other business not doing those methodologies, correct? No, you're totally right. And, and I, think, I think some people get intimidated. You know, they hear that system. That, w- that was the entire system, by the way, condensed down into like 20 minutes. But yeah. uh, when people hear this, they get intimidated, Ben. They're like, you know, this is too much of a change. I can't do it. And therefore, they stop before they even start. Mm-hmm. The people that have had the most success with this, and now there's well over 100,000 businesses that have implemented Profit First. The businesses that have had the greatest success actually start very slowly. They set up one account or they just get the rhythm going or they just get one component going until they've mastered it. And then they add another account or they add another component and they build into it. Maybe it takes three months or six months or even a year, but they start building more and more of that profit muscle. Sure. And then they just, like you said, they just continue to grow. Hey gang, this episode is brought to you by Mophie. As most of you know, I've worked in the wireless industry for nearly two decades and I've seen a lot of cheap, crummy accessories and I've seen a lot of great ones. Mophie is definitely one of the great ones. Mophie is the number one selling battery case manufacturer in North America and you don't get to be number one by making junk. Mophie products are well made and outperform all others. If you're like me and a lot of other people, you probably rely on your phone to keep you connected throughout the day. And power is always an issue. Well, not with Mophie. Mophie has the products and accessories to keep you connected. Check them out. I left a link in the show notes, and if you use the link, I might get to make a couple of dollars, so I greatly appreciate it. It's what keeps the show going, and again, I really do appreciate you using the affiliate link. If you're having problems getting the show notes on whatever app you're using to listen to the show on, you can also find the show notes and all the episodes at visanotconsulting.com forward slash category forward slash podcast. That's visanotconsulting.com forward slash category forward slash podcast. And make sure to join our Facebook group by joining You'll get outtakes and special content to help you and your business grow. And unlike other Facebook groups, it's totally free. You can click the link in the show notes or simply search for us on Facebook as the Next Level Leadership and Small Business Owner Group. Now back to the show. Uh, Mike, so tell me, explain to me what what TAPS are. And are they the starting point or the end game? Oh, yeah. TAPS stands for Target Allocation Percentages, and I refer to them in the book. They are the end game. Now, for some businesses, we actually may even blow by those. My company conducted a study of around a thousand businesses, what we call the industry elite. And now this was industry agnostic. So it was law firms and pizza shops and so forth. And we asked, what percentages are you achieving uh, in profitability and so forth? We calculated that based upon different revenue ranges. So small businesses that were under say 250,000, these micro businesses, um, had higher owner's compensation because they usually didn't have any employees or very few and bigger businesses. Uh, the owners were taking more in profit distributions and so forth. Well, those numbers we call the taps, the target allocation percentages. 
I expect that the vast majority of people that read and implement Profit First won't be at those taps. We are instead at what we call caps. Caps is the current allocation percentages. And we all have them. And they're real simple to calculate. You look at your history last year and say, how much of a cash bonus above and beyond your distributions as an owner, what kind of big bonus check did you give yourself at the end of the year? Most businesses say nothing, and that's normal. So we set the caps for profit to zero. The taps, though, with the fiscal elite may be 10%. So now we know what we're targeting. The key, though, is that next morning we don't wake up and say, starting today, it's going to take 10%. Maybe too abrupt of a change. We start stepping into it. Maybe start at 2%. And then next quarter, we go up to three or 4%. And maybe over six quarters, you know, a year and a half, or maybe eight quarters, two years, we get to that 10% uh, taps. Some businesses may even go buy it. Some businesses may say, you know what? I, I don't want to be in the fiscally elite. I want to be in the fiscally super elite. I'm going to go for 12 or 15%, and they pull it off. So taps is simply a rough guideline of what we can make your business achieve if you want to be super fiscally healthy. But some businesses can even blow by that. The key is don't start there. That's a little bit of an end game, not the starting point. Awesome. Thanks for explaining that. And, and obviously you review all that in the book and, you know, sort of I the do. starting point, any point. Excellent. Uh, so is there a risk, Mike, to doing profit first alone? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So if you, yeah, there totally is, right? So we entrepreneurs, myself, I lie to myself all the time. You know, I, I share the story. I, I saw my, I literally saw my dollars dwindling away thinking that maybe tomorrow if that one big client did show up, everything would be fixed. Well, it's easy to borrow money and shift money around when no one else is watching. So if you do profit first alone, you know, you can just cut corners or you can move money off profit and put your operating expense account and no one's going to hold you accountable to it. So I found a greater uh, success rate is you know, get someone else in your company. If you have another employee there to help guide you through this. I mean, especially if it's two owners in the business, that's ideal. But I also look for outside sources. You know, one thing I did, uh, and I still do it, is I have a dual signature on my profit distribution checks. Meaning there's another person, his name is Joe, who can sign those checks. The interesting thing about Joe is he doesn't own anything in my, of my business. He has no interest. But every time I take a profit distribution, I have to meet with Joe, explain why I'm doing it before he'll authorize the check. So if I want to borrow from that profit account, Joe's like, sorry figure out how to run your business like it should off the operating expenses. But when I say, hey, I'm going to use this money to go on a vacation or buy some thing or save, save for my kid's college, then Joe says, oh, that's a good reward to yourself. And he approves it. So accountability to other people is definitely a great mechanism. And when, and when two people, two separate business owners are going at this process together, you become champions for each other. It becomes friendly competition. It's a really good platform for getting the most profit out of your business. Okay. Okay. That, that makes sense. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. Now you, you also have, or you have an interest in a, in a consulting group um, that helps businesses, you know, sort of with the accountability portion and walk through the profit first, or you have a network of some sort, correct? Yeah. So uh, when I wrote the first version of the book, the one you were talking about, the piggy bank on it, um, right when the first manuscript came out before it was actually even in print, I, I shared it with some past readers and the first person said, Mike, who's the accountant that supports Profit First? I said, oh, that, that's a good idea. I, I never thought about that. So I started reaching out to accountants and saying, do you want to get, do you want to understand and master this process? Are you willing to implement this process in your own business so you don't know it just at a logical level, but that you know it at a visceral level by living through it? And uh, initially a handful of people said, you know what, this is what I want. I want to be able to consult clients on profitability. I want to help them navigate 
the challenges that present themselves as they move along. Well, that few people very rapidly has grown to over 350 people on a global basis. Wow. We're, we're in many countries. Um, and so we have accountants, bookkeepers, and coaches now that will take the basic premise of Profit First I shared and really customize it for a specific business's needs and be that ultimate accountability partner. Kind of like a gym. Like anyone can sign up for a gym today and go start working out. But if you really want to get, you know, the most out of workouts and have extreme workouts, hire a trainer. That trainer will tell you exercises that will give you the most muscle mass or the most fitness or whatever you want to achieve. Uh, they'll do, teach you exercises that prevent from injury and how to avoid injury. And talk about accountability partner. You don't show up, the, the trainer's like, hey, I'm here, I'm waiting for you, you paid me, where are you? Um, if you go this alone, it's a rainy day outside, you're like, you know what, maybe I'll sleep in today. But when you have a trainer, you get things done. And, and that's the idea of Profit First Professionals. Oh, okay, and, and, and uh, obviously I'll get that information, I'll put it in the show notes uh, before, we, uh, before we're done and, and they can reach out to you should they find the need for that. Now, I'm, I'm sure this next question, you probably get this one probably more than any of the rest of them. So if a business has a lot of debt that they need to work off, can they still implement and take a profit first? Yes, I get that question a lot. And yes, you can. Actually, yes, you must. So we have to understand really what debt is. Debt is an expense from the past that we incurred that we didn't have the money at the time to pay for, or at least didn't want to use our own money. So we borrowed it through another party, our credit card provider or whoever it is, family, friends. Now we have a responsibility to pay it back. Well, the only way to pay back an expense from the past is to make more money today than you're spending. That delta, that gap, gives you the money to pay off debt. That delta or that gap is profit. So here's how it works. We need to, more than ever, implement profit first. We allocate money to its profit account. The only, the golden rule of profit is, is always used to celebrate. The only exception is if we have passed debt. If we've passed debt, we're going to use the majority of that profit to pay it off. So when it comes to profit distribution time, we take out the check and I would allocate 95 to even 99% of that money to wiping out debt and repeat that process over and over until we finally eradicate the debt. We still want to take five, as little as 1% of the money so that we still celebrate. The goal here is not to, uh, not to self-punish. And I think the mistake that, that some people suggest is, oh, just do everything to crush debt and sacrifice yourself. Well, we start loathing our business because our business is never giving us bonuses. Why am I working so hard? So I think we still need a little portion to reward ourselves. But the beauty is this. Once that debt is finally fully eradicated, the next profit check that comes out, all of that money goes to you, the owner. And that's a great day. Debt-free and getting a bonus check. Oh, I bet. I bet. You know, and, and I think that was some of my struggles in the past with some of my businesses is, is the exact same thing. It was, you got to the point where it was just stress, 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 no reward. And it wasn't fun to get up and go to work. No. Anymore, right? I remember those days and I was like, I couldn't wait to fall asleep. And I would really hope that I could just not wake up. I, yeah. I remember the, the feeling of the compression in my chest and the fear I had. I thought I was having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. It was all stress related because I, I was, make, I was making less money than I was spending. And th- this model simply flips it. Uh, and you wouldn't believe, Ben, the, the emails I get, uh, the people I meet in person to say, this, business, this method doesn't to save my business. It saved my marriage. It saved my health. Um, you know, money is, in the management of it, is absolutely critical to us. And uh, it's a shame that we 
we're given systems that are so complex, it's hard to do it. I, my, my hope with private first is it just makes it super simple. Sure. And I, and I think that's, you talked about the intimidation of, of people starting the process. On the surface, it looks really complex, but it's really, really not, especially when you compare, you know, what probably everyone's doing now, um, you know, and trying to juggle and balance. And I mean, that was, you know, I was robbing Peter to pay Paul on a monthly basis to make payroll. Yeah. I'm sure you were in similar situations. Those were complex situations. Uh, your methodology is, is very simple. And like you said, it, it works plain and simple. Yeah. You know? Thanks. And yeah, you know, it, it does. Um, the shame I think is some people think it's too simple and therefore it can't work. So some of the resistance I get is, is exactly that. People say, is it really, really pay yourself first? This is a shell game. I, I don't need to do this. And, and this couldn't work. It's too easy. And um, my explanation to them is, well, it's not a shell game. It's a behavioral strategy. What it allows us to do is continue to log into our bank accounts. It allows us to continue a behavior of, of, that already exists, this, this process of doing bank balance accounting. But now with money carved up before you spend it, you start having immediate clarity on where money can go. By hiding it away from yourself, the profit and the taxes, you can't steal from yourself. So it puts simple guardrails around existing behavior, allowing us to do the same thing. And I think that's the real power, is you don't need to change. We simply just need to make some tweaks to the system. Sure, sure. And perception is a lot of it too, right? How you look at that's the- right situation. So, so tell me how, what size does a business need to be when it starts doing profit first, Mike? Yeah. So the, the earlier, the better. And, and we've had brand new startups from day one implement it. The reason a smaller business can be so successful with it is these businesses, you know, quote unquote, don't know better. So they just implement it and they start running their business very healthily from the get go. Uh, bigger businesses may go through actually a little more of a bumpy change. So a business that's doing a million or two, uh, there's actually a, a $10 million business that just reached out and is implementing it. Well, they have very thin margins and stuff. They started implementing it. It was a little more abrupt of a change. The end answer is start, the sooner you start, the better. It's kind of like exercise. Like when should I start exercising? Yesterday. And if you can't start yesterday, start today. Like that's the time frame to get started. There will be an adjustment period regardless of the size of your business. But the sooner you start, the easier it's going to be to implement the system. Excellent. Awesome. Now, before we go, we got to talk about clockwork. Uh, I love, I love the book and Thank you. I loved it. And so t- tell us a little bit about what clockwork is. Yeah. I'm, I'm well, thanks for saying that. I, I'm super pumped about this book too. Profit first. When I wrote that book, I, my life's mission is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. And the Simple definition of it is financial poverty. We make very little and we struggle. That's what Profit First was designed to resolve. As I wrote Profit First and started serving entrepreneurs by fixing that, I noticed there was actually a greater form of impoverishment, something I was ignoring, which is the time suck. Uh, I actually proudly called myself a workaholic and now I'm, I'm ashamed of that because I was sacrificing time with my family and friends and just living. And I've come to realize that's the reality for so many of us. It's just work, work, work. Um, and I don't think, I'm convinced we are not in life to support a business. We are in business to support our lives. Clockwork flips that. Clockwork is a strategy to remove you from doing the work in your business to becoming a designer of outcomes, a true entrepreneur. And it's a throttle, meaning it's, when you implement clockwork, it's not like tomorrow morning you work, wake up and all of a sudden the business is running and humming by itself. But we slowly and consistently peel work off of us. We delegate it out 
through our organization. We build systems that walks you through all this stuff, ultimately moving us to the most important element we can serve in our business, which is simply strategic thought, vision, planning, organizing our resources to achieve outcomes. And uh, the ultimate test in clockwork, we, we call it the four-week vacation. When you read the book, one of the biggest calls to action I, I make people declare is taking a four-week vacation. And this is not tomorrow morning, maybe it's a year or two out, but we need to remove you from the business for an extended period of time, full digital and physical disconnect, so that we can prove the business can stand on its own. And there's a process to get there. It's not like this is the only thing we're going to do. We're going to build there and test things out. But the ultimate test is this four-week vacation. Because when you leave and the business can operate in your absence for four weeks, it can likely operate in your absence into perpetuity, which means now you've created a business that runs itself. Awesome. And, and, and you don't just, you know, sort of preach this stuff. And, I, and we talked about a little bit, a little bit about it for the show is you actually live it. So in the book you proclaimed that you, uh, when did you write the book exactly? When were you writing the book? Oh, the book came out in uh, 2018 around, I think it was July. So as of our recording now, it was about nine months ago that got released. Okay. Okay, but you, you wrote it, obviously, you know, months before that. Oh, yeah, I wrote yeah. it for six yeah. years. I was writing it for six years before <laughs> well, you, it got you, you proclaimed in the book that you were going to take a four-week vacation in December. And, and as we talked earlier, I, I tried to book you for the show here in December, and I couldn't get you for some reason. Uh, <laughs> and I know why. And, and, why. and that reason was because you proclaimed in the book you were going to take four weeks in December, and, and you did that, correct? Yeah. So one of the fun things about being an author and an entrepreneur is every book I write, I I'm the guinea pig for it. Uh, so are other businesses that volunteer themselves. And uh, it also is the ultimate accountability mechanism. Like if I don't run a business following the clockwork method, then how much do I believe in clockwork? So of course I run it that way. Of course I do profit first. Um, everything I write, I do. So I took a fortification and it became, uh, it, a couple of amazing things came out of it, but it was very revealing. I followed the process that's scripted in there. And, and there's a whole section just dedicated to building toward this process and taking many tests and so forth. But the ultimate goal is this. Yes, it's to enjoy yourself and to experience life, no question. But the primary business benefit is when you remove yourself and return, you find out what cracks, those things that break down or don't function. Those are things that are dependent upon you and need to be fixed. So when I did this, we were pretty solid. We only had one major breakdown, which I didn't see. I was blind to it. It was actually our branding consistency. Um, I, did, I always just did it kind of just by nature. I was making sure our brand was consistent, but I never put conscious thought into it. Well, when I left, there were some decisions made around logos and so forth, and the brand started to splinter. There wasn't this consistency, and that was the big aha, that I need to develop a uh, capture a process for our branding consistency and then bring on someone that's our, our brand advocate here. So that was the big aha. But the beautiful thing was the business ran. I got, I got a payroll check every two weeks from the business, so twice while I was away, and uh, there was money here, and, we, and they, they had to close a new project. I didn't even know we were negotiating, so it was, it was super <laughs> exciting to return. It was a good way, and, it, and you were totally disconnected for the entire four weeks, no, no digital or nothing, huh? Totally disconnected, and I'm actually, I believe in it so much. I, my next four vacations are already planned uh, and scheduled, but I believe in it so much that, I've decided to mandate it for every one of my employees and uh, I'm going to experiment with this and this may come out in a book four or five years from now, but uh, the number two, if that's the right word, the person here is scheduled for actually an uh, eight-week vacation. Uh, another person is scheduled for a four-week vacation and we're going to roll through the entire company. 
because what happened with me is we found out where our business was weak. As each one of these people leaves, I'm going to find out where we lack redundancy and protection and build structure so that if anyone leaves, because it can, it can happen in a moment. Someone can get sick or hurt or just decide to quit. I got to make sure that our business will go on unabated. And by doing these tests, not only are my colleagues going to get experience life in a new way, um, we're going to build a healthier company as a result. Oh yeah. Well, like you said, people leave, you know, people get sick, you know, people go into other, other ventures and, uh, and if they, if they were a crucial part of your organization, then you have a big vacuum. So that's right. Especially uh, small business. You know, we only have 14 people here. You know, if, if one person leaves, that's almost 10% of the organization. That's like Google announcing, Hey, we had 70,000 people leave this morning, right? It's a big <laughs> chunk of the business when one person leaves a small business. Right, yeah, the world would catch fire, right? If, yeah. that, if Google had 70,000 people leave. Oh, could you so, imagine? Right, and, and, and I'm sure you probably get this question a lot too, um, you know, or you hear it a lot, you know, well, my business is different. It's a different industry. Yes. I'm special. But you talk about in the book how really any kind of business owner or any kind of industry business, they can do the same thing. They can run a clockwork business, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's been tested thoroughly on countless businesses. Any business can do it. Uh, I even decided to look at businesses that clearly could not run without the owner, like the, what they call creative type businesses, photography, uh, painting, uh, any of these artisan type things. Like clearly you need the artisan. And sure enough, I found businesses in those categories that were running on automatic. In fact, I found a business from the 1600s. I'll keep it a little bit of a myth here. But there was this guy in the 1600s who was a portrait painter who paint, was able to paint thousands of paintings where his contemporaries only were able to do hundreds in their lifetime. And he did it by implementing a lot of the strategies I share in Clockwork. Yeah, and I was actually going to allude to that, but I won't, I won't give it away. Obviously, I've read the big, book. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the yeah, big it's reveal. reveal. <laughs> you got yeah. you to you read the book if you want to know what we're talking about. Um, but it's a great example of just exactly how you can streamline almost anything if you create some processes around it. Um, you know, fantastic. Mike, before we go, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience uh, about some of your other books or just, just business sense in, in general? Yeah, I'll give you one kind of final actionable tip around profit first. I, uh, if it's okay, can I share my website and, and where they can get resources? Well, uh, for sure. I was going to, that's my next question. Oh, then, okay. Then I'll say, I'll have it the grand finale. So, yeah. um, so I, I've written other books and I invite you to check them out. Here's my big grand finale thought. I've written five or six books and people then will come to me off and say, which book should I read of yours? The pumpkin plan or surge or profit first or clockwork or, or something. And my response used to be, Oh, I think you'll love profit first or you'll love this. My, I've changed my response a few years ago. I respond with a question. I simply say, what have you identified as the biggest challenge you're facing in your business? And they'll say, well, it's hiring or it's whatever. I say, then, then you have to find that book. We got to solve the biggest challenge. I haven't written a hiring book. So in fact, I don't think you should read any of my books right now. You should go and tackle that biggest issue. But if it is profit, profit's the one. If it is efficiency, it's clockwork. If it's growth, organic growth, it's, it's the pumpkin plan. So that's my challenge to everyone listening. What is the biggest challenge you face in your business today? Endeavor to master that challenge. Read those books or take those courses that tackle that one issue, blast through it, and then find what the next challenge is and then blast through that one. Right. That's, that's some great wisdom. Great advice. Mike, so obviously the next question, where's a good place for people to learn more about <laughs> what you do and where to connect with you at? Yes. Thank you for offering. So it's my website, which is mikemichalowitz.com. I'll give you a shortcut because no one can remember that one. 
My nickname was Mike Motorbike. That was my high school nickname. The, the great irony, Ben, I tell everyone this, I was, I've never driven a motorcycle, um, but that was my nickname anyway. So you can go to mikemotorbike.com. That will bring to my website. All my books are up there. Uh, you can get free chapter downloads. I also wrote for the Wall Street Journal on hacks for small business, how to really leap, far, leap forward quickly. You can sign up and get that. I'm a blogger. I'm a podcaster. Everything's on the site for free. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to, uh, to reference that in the show notes. And Mike, thank you. Thank, you for your, thank you for your time today. I truly enjoyed our conversation. You are welcome back anytime. Oh, you're a, dude, you're a stud. Thank you, brother. I appreciate this. <laughs> Not a problem. And to all our listeners, I hope that you learned something today that will help take you to the next level. Hey, thanks for listening today. For more episodes, make sure to click the subscribe button below and check out our blog for other impactful information that might be of interest to you at vizanaconsulting.com forward slash blog. That's Vizana, V as in victory, E-Z-I-N-A, consulting.com slash blog. If you have a question or would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at vizanaconsulting.com. That's podcast at vizanaconsulting.com. I'm your host, Ben Vizana, and I'll see you next time on the Next Level Leadership and Small Business Owner Show.